Here at Lady Farmer, we talk about so many different aspects of slow and sustainable living, a subject matter that can at times feel confusing, overwhelming, even misleading. And that's why a few years ago, we set out to write a book that might be a guide for those seeking a life of beauty, simplicity, and sustainability. We're thrilled to be able to offer you our own small guide for cultivating slow living, sustainable simplicity close to home available in our online marketplace. In the book, you've woven an easy-to-digest narrative of stories, recipes, tips, resources, ideas, and reflection. This collection of essays and resources will guide you to think about your own relationship to the planet, what you eat, what you wear, and how you live a sustainable lifestyle. It also contains a 21-day slow-living challenge of daily thought exercises to lead you in the process. For you Good Dirt listeners, we are offering free shipping of this wonderful little book with the code THEGOODDIRT in our online marketplace. So use the code THEGOODDIRT, T-H-E-G-O-O-D-D-I-R-T at checkout when you go to purchase your copy of The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living in our online marketplace for free shipping. That's The Good Dirt at The Lady Farmer online marketplace for free shipping on The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living. We hope you enjoy it. Thanks, everybody. Almost all my motifs are plants or plant forms. And I think the idea for me is for people to look at it and realize that we have all this beauty around us, no matter where we live. Just feel like we all have to have that awareness in order to realize what we're about to destroy. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Welcome to the good dirt. We hope you all are having a wonderful end of your summer and soaking up every last bit of it. It's hard to believe the fall equinox is right around the corner. I know. I finally got to spend some time at the beach recently, and it was just the sweetest, most needed summer beach time I think I've ever had. I hadn't been to the beach the entire pandemic, and I really missed the ocean. And I really just noticed the way that my nervous system completely relaxed. It's like it just dropped down several levels just being at the ocean and it stayed that way for several days and I wanted to keep staying that way. So I'm really going to try to carry that feeling with me from summer moving into fall. What do you think? Is there something that you are trying to carry from summer into fall? 
Well, I'm still waiting on that beach trip. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's still to come, but there's so many things I'll cherish from this summer. Things like morning coffee on the porch and bike rides on the canal and all of the fun, unexpected things that happened in the garden this year, like our frogs. We dug this new pond and suddenly, without doing anything at all, we had a whole family of these cute green frogs that have made us laugh all summer. I just love to go out there in the evening and just sort of be with them and watch them. They're so funny. They're so cute. And before we get started on today's show, I just wanted to remind all the listeners that we still have our listener survey going on. And to make it a little bit more fun and encourage you to fill out the survey, we have a couple ways of saying thank you for the feedback. So first of all, if you complete the survey, you'll automatically get a free three-month trial in the Almanac, which is our online membership community. It's open now for fall enrollment. And you will also be entered into a giveaway for a full year free. So if you go to ladyfarmer.com forward slash survey, you will be entered in for a drawing for a full free year and an automatic three months when you sign up to be a part of our online community. We can't wait to have you. Some of you who are newer to the community might be wondering what the Almanac is and why you want to be a part of it. So this is where we gather with others who are seeking ways to do life, so to speak, in a slower, more intentional and sustainable way. We have ongoing discussions where we share advice, experiences, photos, real food recipes, slow fashion, low waste living, urban and rural gardening, homesteading, music, books, handcrafts. And we get together at least once a month on Zoom to discuss our monthly themed activity and what we've all been up to. And it's so fun to connect with other lady farmers across the country, hear about what they're doing. It's really cool to see people in different biomes and microclimates and talk about what's growing here is not growing there and the crazy. It's just, it's really cool. So for example, the end of our summer activity was to host a meal featuring all locally sourced food for a small gathering or just yourself and your family. And we just so enjoyed hearing how everyone was planning on putting that together and how sort of that, just the the prompt to think about something like that can make you be that one little nudge you need to go to the farmer's market that week. And just for the sake of it, enjoy a celebration for no reason other than celebrating local food. So that's just a small example of some of the stuff that we're up to. Yeah, and members also have access to constantly updated and archived content, articles, essays, all kinds of activities, virtual gatherings, of course, guest presentations, workshops, book clubs. Oh, and membership also includes special discounts to events and our online marketplace. Yeah, so we hope you will join us there. And now back to a bit about today's podcast episode. We're so grateful that you're here to, of course, at the good dirt every Friday. Today is Lada Helberg. She is a Swedish-born artist based in Charlottesville, Virginia. For more than a decade, Lada has experimented with textile printmaking, most recently focused on eco-printing, relief processes, and local plant-based dyes, many of which she grows herself, and you'll hear her talk about that, to make works that both document and celebrate her immediate surroundings. Her unconventional wall and bookworks have been featured in numerous solo and group exhibitions across the United States, as well as abroad, including the Festival of Quilts in the United Kingdom. And Lada's work has been presented in several national and international publications. 
such as Natural Processes and Textile Art by Alice Fox, Art Quilting Studio, American Craft, and Patchwork Professional. Mom, what did you love about this conversation? I was so inspired by Lada's ethos as an artist and her commitment to sustainability in all of her work. She uses only natural and biodegradable materials, much of which she finds in her immediate surroundings. And all of her dyes are derived from plants or from natural extracts. She's always conscious of avoiding synthetics, toxins, and any abuse of the earth's resources. And I just respect this immensely. Yeah, this conversation, just listening to her talk through everything, made me want to go do some eco-printing. Me too. (laughs) Just listening to it again had me thinking about chucking everything I'd planned for the rest of the week and playing in the plant dyes. We really hope that you also enjoy and are inspired by this conversation and we can't wait to hear what you think about it. Thank you so much, everyone. So yes, I am um, an artist specializing in mainly in fiber, printmaking and book arts. And originally, I uh, grew up in Sweden and now live in Charlottesville, Virginia. I've been here since 1988, so a long time. (laughs) But I think a lot of what informs my work and my art is still from Sweden. You know, I'm, I'm very inspired by a lot of things that I grew up with. So the environment there, my love of natural materials and also, you know, just Swedish design aesthetic, you know, very simple, elegant uh, lines and things like that. Where in Charlottesville are you? Uh, So we live downtown uh, in an old house that we bought in the 90s when people could actually afford buying things in Charlottesville. So we're very, very lucky. Uh, We have a fairly big piece of land for being uh, in such an urban setting. So I have a big, about one acre and I garden there and I grow some dye plants and I have some trees that I planted specifically for dyeing and, and so on. So we have some family in Charlottesville. So mm-hmm. we feel I've been there a lot and we're not far up the road from you. So yeah. we're in DC right now. Yeah, not too far away. Tell me what kind of trees you have. I, I noticed in your video, it looked like sumac. You use sumac a lot. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I do have sumac. Uh, I have, I'm growing uh, pecans. So I'm trying to stick to natives and native trees that still work well for printing because that's one of my main things that I do. Not only dyeing, but I do eco printing and botanical or it's the same thing, but I call it botanical contact printing. So I, um, when I first started out, I used to walk around in the neighborhood and kind of look at my neighbor's trees and discreetly take a leaf here and there to use for my printing. But I, and I still would do that occasionally, but by now everybody knows me and <laughs> I'm just a crazy lady walking around uh, <laughs> looking for plants to use. But I'm also trying now to grow my own so I don't have to rely on that necessarily. And we already have like some really established trees. So we have a white oak behind our house and it's over 200 years old, we think. And um, of course, that is a really good, both a dye plant and a print material, so to speak. And we have a beech tree up front and a tulip poplar. And yeah, so trees are a big part of my life, even though I live in a relative urban setting and when did you when did you start with this kind of art where did that start in you so I think when I moved here 
I don't have no formal training in art. I am actually a journalist originally. So in Sweden, that's what I worked as with both writing and, and some uh, radio work, but mostly writing. But when I moved here in the late 1980s, of course, you know, English was not my first language and writing in English was difficult at the time, still is probably. So I started doing more and more graphic design. Some of that I had trained for also in Sweden. So it wasn't like just from out of the blue, but uh, the graphic design and actually quite, I had my own business and I did freelance and I worked for some bigger companies and, and just learned as I went. Um, but I, I got to a certain point where I really wanted to do something even more creative. So I wanted to kind of, when you work as a graphic designer, you, you have your own ideas, but you always have to listen to your clients. And sometimes that can cause, it just, I just felt like I needed to do something that was even one notch more creative. So I decided to combine, you know, my interest in gardening and plants and nature with some of the things that I had from my Swedish background, which is I love like natural materials like linen. Yes. So back then, this is the early 2000s, I started a small line of production work, basically, where I made household linens, pillows and napkins and table runners and things like that. I dyed all my, I didn't make my fabric, but I dyed all my fabric myself and I printed by using leaves from my garden. So I used the leaves as a printing plate, basically. So still very much one of a kind and very kind of unique, very hands-on. But over time, I started realizing that I've always viewed myself as kind of an environmentalist. I've always worked towards doing good for the planet. And I realized while I was working on using these synthetic paints and synthetic dyes that, you know, it's just really not good to flush that down your drain and to expose yourself to it too. It's not only the environment, but just your own well-being. So that's when I started to mm -hmm. explore and research some natural dye options. And the other thing that was really striking comparing the synthetic dyes with the natural dyes was that I with the synthetic dyes, I could never get the right color. They were always too bright. I always tended to want like the very subtle, the palest blues, the palest yellows. And it was so difficult to do. And especially if you wanted to replicate the result with the synthetic dyes. Uh. So when I finally uh, started using uh, natural dyes, that was like the big aha thing. It's like, well, look, here they are. All these colors that I've been wanting all these years are right here. So that was a big eye-opening thing. And then, you know, I've just kind of continued on from there, uh, learning on my own. I've had taken some classes. And um, when it comes to the eco-printing or the botanical contact printing, I, I've learned pretty much all I know from India Flint. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she is an Australian artist who she didn't invent this technique, but she is the one who definitely kind of explored it and took it to kind of the, the level it is now. It's it's becoming much more common and much more popular. A lot of people are doing it now, but she was the one who I would say really made it take off. And I came across her in a book when I was doing research and then happened upon a class that she was going to teach that same summer in uh, Chakarag workshops in uh, Tennessee which um, that was my first time going there. And I love that place. It's a great, great, great 
place to take classes. And I think you went to school there. Am That's I right? where I went to school. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, anyways, the, the, that week-long class with her just really uh, changed my life. I mean, not only is she an amazing person and she truly lives like she learns, you know, she's basically one with earth and just really has a very strong view of how to do good while still being creative and to, she's just a lovely person. And that's when I first learned the printing techniques and some, lots of other things too that she did in that class. But I've continued to kind of learning on my own when it comes to that since then. And I'm still keeping in touch with her. I wouldn't call if she's not my mentor or anything like that, but we are in touch and, and I would consider her. So the rest of it, I, I think I would say that I've just learned as I went along and experimented on my own. I've never been to those specific workshops. Yeah, Swanee's incredible. So was the topic of the class that you took that was kind of transformative for you, was that echo printing? Was that the, the subject? Yes, I cannot remember the exact title of the class now because her classes yeah. are not always about just eco printing it's i mean we did walks in the wood and we wrote poetry and but the main purpose of the class was eco printing yeah so something that caught my eye in a blog or something you wrote was that you're committed to like minimal waste or leaving behind things and you've already spoken to the toxicity of the dyes and you discovered natural dyes and this is something i think about in artwork a lot i mean a lot of artwork leaves behind like you know, a lot of stuff, mm -hmm. <laughs> not to minimize it or devalue it, but to run across an artist that is super sensitive to that. So how does that work its way into your process? Obviously, you use natural materials and natural dyes. You dye on linen mostly. Is that what you said? That's correct, but not uh, exclusively. I do some on silk and some wool as well. So when it comes to the materials, that I feel that's the weakest link because if I need to buy new materials to work with, so whether it's linen or silk or wool, it's really hard to find affordable sources that are like organic or local or mm -hmm. sustainable. Uh, so most of the time I try to use vintage things you know so either things i've already have and by now i have lots of friends who, who give me things you know they go through their parents things or something like that and they will give me you know vintage linen so it could be anything like old tablecloths anything like that so that is a really good source i feel for you know not having to use new resources but I do occasionally buy wool fabric in particular is really good for the eco printing. And uh, I found a uh, place in the U.S. I don't know where the wool is sourced, but I know that they actually weave it and make the fleece or the fabric in somewhere in the Midwest. I should know exactly what it's called, but I can't remember right now. But when it comes to my other materials... So I use them mostly plants that are growing around me. So occasionally I will buy plant extracts, still natural dyes, but I mm -hmm. um, most of the time I try to use things that are right here so I can just pick it. And when it comes to preparing the fabric and mortising or treating it and things like that, there I use alum. I feel like mm -hmm. that's relatively benign. I do use some iron as well, but I don't use the iron sulfate. I use, like, I make my own iron solution just by soaking iron pieces. And it's, so it becomes a much milder chemical, so to speak. Wow. I think the iron sulfate is pretty harsh. And then the process itself, you know, you're bund making these bundles either by rolling up your fabric and your plant material and tying it together really tightly. Or you can make, a, like, a sandwich between rigid boards 
but the process is the same. You need to have really tight contact between your plants and the materials. And then you process that in uh, simmering or boiling water. Some people use steam. I prefer to just use immersing the whole thing in water. I feel like it, it gets the heat is better and it gets better results, but that's just my preference. But so that is another, of course, another source of energy use. You know, you have to heat up your pots. So that can be a little bit questionable. But I think other than that, you know, having to buy sometimes buy materials that are unknown origin and uh, use the heat you use for producing your prints. Those are the two things that I would say that are not totally environmentally sound, but otherwise I feel like there isn't much waste. And another thing too is that I almost always save everything. And I think the fantastic thing with eco-printing is that the good and the bad is that you it's, it's unpredictable. You don't always know what you're getting. But I find that even when you had a certain thing in mind or you thought something was going to turn out a certain way, even if it doesn't do that, what you have is almost always really beautiful. You, you, you always get something really nice. Do you paint the leaves with anything before you press them down? Or are you just putting the leaf down on the fabric before you wrap it up? I sometimes soak the leaves in a little bit of iron water, very diluted mm. from that same process that I mentioned earlier, just because it, the, what the iron does is that it kind of drags out, it darkens up the colors some. So that whatever color is already in the leaf gets enhanced. I mean, you can easily do too much and then you just get a black blob and that's not something you want. But by soaking them just briefly in a very diluted iron solution, you can kind of coax out some of the colors. I appreciated seeing just you had the organic material straight on the fabric and then you took it off and there was your print you see some people doing this process where they're actually using tape or something to, to keep the thing on there and that's why I've never done it because I thought well mm -hmm. that's not you know I don't want to go and do something that's going to take a bunch of tape and stuff but the way you did it I don't know you got it tight enough or something and the, the where you had these beautiful prints behind and I'm wondering if you're the secret of putting it actually in the water Mm -hmm. makes a big difference rather than just steaming because I've tried that with you know rolling up a leaf or something say and steaming it and then you unroll it you get some color but you don't get the imprint of the leaf mm -hmm. so I'm going to try it with putting it in the water like yeah. in simmering water yeah that's what I do I put I have a pot and it's simmering and then I just put it in there and keep it there for about an hour ah yeah okay. so for some time so never heard of that that's the first time I've heard of that yeah. And the other thing in terms of process is that wool and silk, if you try that first, at least, it works much better. It's just the same as with natural dyeing. It, it, the, the protein fabrics take up the color much more readily than the cellulose fibers. So, mm. And when I do print on cellulose, I usually treat it with a soya milk solution. So you kind of fool the fabric into thinking that it is a protein fabric and that, oh. <laughs> that can actually help mimic the same conditions. So, yeah. Is that after mordanting? So I think it's more like called a modifier because it's not really, yeah. it's, it's kind of coating the fibers with the milk and, you know, you let it dry. So it, it, it really is embedded, but it's really not, it doesn't mesh necessarily with the, with the dye pigments. It's more of a coat on the surface of the material. 
So it sounds like a lot of your things, at least the things where you know the source of it, would be biodegradable. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, when I finish print session, the, the plant sometimes the plants can be used again, but if they can't, they just go straight onto the compost. Don't even throw it away. You know, it can be put back into earth. You know. So that's nice. Oh, that's wonderful to create mm. art in a way that's not making a mess. Yeah, yeah. In the water yeah. systems and, you know, not that yeah. that's a bad thing, all you artists out there. I mean, you know. But you're right. You're right about the, I mean, there are a lot of different processes out there. If you Google it or if you talk to other people, they, everybody's doing different things. And one of the things are is to use plastic in the process, which I find is just totally, I mean, it's all personal preference, but it's against the idea of doing this, at least for me, is that it should be an environmentally sound process. And by adding plastic and boiling that in water, you don't know what the vapors contain, you don't know... But they would use the plastic as a layer to kind of just isolate the leaves towards the fabric so it doesn't bleed through. I think that's the main reason why that may be something that people want to do. So once you roll it up, you can get the color can bleed through in several layers and you can get blobs of things that are less desirable in the background or... Do you think that your growing up in Sweden informed this artwork at all? And and if so, how? Uh, yes, I think so, definitely. I've been thinking about this. Again, the older I get to, the more I realize how influenced I am or was even back then. So one of the things that's in Sweden that I really love, they have this law called Allemansrätten, which means basically if you translate it, it's, uh, it means every person's right or every person's law. And what it really means is that you have the right to walk onto somebody else's property under certain circumstances. You can't walk up to people's houses. You can't walk into their private gardens. But if somebody owns big parcels of land, you have the right to basically hike or wander around uh, on that property as long as you don't pick things or destroy things or do anything bad. Which means that if you're in the countryside or even not, I mean, even in an urban setting, sometimes you, you can just wander around. And as kids, you know, we just ran around in the woods and played and didn't have to think about, you know, who owns, you know, is somebody going to show up with a shotgun? Or... Wow. So, and, 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 you know, it's a very unique thing. I don't think there's any other country that has it, but it's still in place and it's still working because I think everybody who lives there's appreciate it so much and I very rarely do you hear of people abusing it by you know you know destroying something or picking flowers that are on the extinct list or whatever it is but so there's certain rules but anyways I think experiences like that when I was young really taught me how to appreciate nature and what a wonderful thing it is to be able to just experience it without worrying about permission or arranging things ahead of time to go to a public park or something like that. Yeah, that's so interesting. I've never thought about how much how much beautiful nature there is here that is off limits. Mm -hmm. Um, You go to these beautiful botanic gardens or, you know, just like really exquisite. Some of the closest we can get to nature is actually something about it can seem like you're not allowed to be there or something or, you know, and to have that Um, feeling of actually no it's the whole world's your playground is is really wonderful yeah and but i mean we do have wonderful parks here i mean national parks and state parks and so i'm not that's here but i think the difference is that it 
it when I grew up, it felt like it's it was just part of everyday life to know that you even you even felt like you're in hindsight I'm thinking I never really appreciated it enough because you you took it for granted that you could just roam around and do what you wanted but but it did give me a real appreciation of nature in all its settings so not just like a fabulous national park or something that's very pristine it could be anything that you really kind of just enjoy being in but then as I I think I mentioned earlier the other thing with Sweden that I really, really love is their use of natural materials. So like linen, for example, is, you know, if there is a national fabric, that would be the Swedish national fabric. And the same thing, again, with the design sensibilities. All of that, I'm sure, has infused whatever I'm doing now and the way I'm kind of living my life, too, I think. That's a good segue into what is a day in the life of Lada like, the artist, and how do you do life? <laughs> I would say that time management is not my strength. So mm-hmm. <laughs> right off the bat, uh, especially not this past year with the pandemic. I just thought when the pandemic hit that at first I thought, oh, this is such a gift. You know, I will have all this time and things that I was working towards was either canceled or not. And and I just felt like, oh, this is such an opportunity to just dive into something and experiment and do some. And it never really, I mean, I did dabble in some new things, but I think like many of us, we just kind of, there were so many other worries and so many other concerns that we couldn't or I couldn't take full advantage of. But in an ideal day, I usually get up early and I usually either go for a run or I take my dogs for a walk. And then I do try to schedule studio time, but that's what I meant. It doesn't always happen. You know, it's easy to, yeah. when, you, when you're your own boss, it's easy to just get distracted yeah. and let something else take over. But I, that's something I try to work really hard on is to be a little better with my time management. Isn't that funny? Like I like to write and I tell myself it's like what I want to do. You know, I want to, and I want to get to that every day. Or, but it's funny how you you don't do the thing that you want to do the most. I, I, what is that? I don't understand. Yeah, resistance. yeah, I know. It's, it's very powerful. You know, when you're actually there, and okay, this is it. I get mm-hmm. to do my creative work. It's almost okay. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're face to face with it, and but it is a struggle. I think we put too much pressure on ourselves to mm-hmm. actually like it, to always uh, achieve something or or produce yeah. something, you know. And then for me, at least, it's very very difficult to just let it be and to just play. Yeah. So, like you say, like put away the expectations that you're going to do something that's worthy of whatever we think we're Mm going to do, like mm -hmm. sell it, publish it, you know, whatever. It doesn't have to be any of that. It's just merely like being with your own self-expression and and having a fun with it or or just, you know, is really what it's about. But in the moment, I think we we come up with all kinds of reasons not to go Mm -hmm. there because there are things that need to be done first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fixing a meal or whatever. But exactly. What do you, would you say are your biggest challenges in the work that you're doing and what brings you the most joy? Yeah, uh, I would uh, start with the joy part. It's still probably opening up these bundles. I mean, yeah. I've done it now for almost 10 years. And every time I do one on rolling or opening up, it's such a mystery. And so it's a little thing. And it's a very technical part of I mean, It's just a small part of my final art pieces are these prints. But to just 
do that uncovering is just amazing. I love that. It's just really, really fun. And I never get tired of it. Even, as I said before, if it doesn't turn out the way I wanted or the way I thought it was going to be, it's still such a mystery. And so it's magic. So that's my biggest joy, I think. And then the other thing I really like is the I do a lot of hand stitching on my uh, wall pieces in particular. And I've really learned how to slow down and just to sit and stitch and just let it happen. It's very meditative and it's I just love the outcome and the texture it gives. And I think it's something that's very unique to fiber, you know, including stitches that are visible in your work is just something that you can't really achieve in any other art medium. And I, I really love it. We talk to a lot of people that incorporate, you know, handwork and uh, hand stitching into their slow living lifestyle. It mm-hmm. seems to be a, a very common ingredient of that kind of lifestyle. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I love it. And I think challenges, I would say in general for mainly working in fiber is that I feel like it's still kind of a there's a struggle in terms of fine art, craft, there's a tension there, you know. So I feel like fiber isn't always uh, acknowledged as a true fine art medium, which may not be a necessary thing. I mean, it doesn't have to be, but I sometimes when people see your work or, or realize that it is a piece of fabric, they have certain reactions to it. That's different from if it had been a painting. And I just find it interesting. And I've, it, it is kind of sometimes hard to convince people that this is something that's worthy of being considered fine art. Mm-hmm. And other things that people mention are things like color fastness, especially with a natural dye. So lots of people will always say, well, doesn't it rub off? And, you know, what do you do to make it stick? And and that's valid questions. But most of the the time, you know, you you can prevent all that by the way you treat the fabric before you're printing and to choose certain leaves that has a lot of tannins and therefore they become color fast in the process. But then also, if you think about any, I mean, a lot of other art forms or even commercially dyed fabric, you know, if you hang it in a sunny room, it's going to change colors. It's going to fade. So it's nothing that's unique to natural dyes in per se. It comes up a lot when we're, you know, we, we dye some things to sell through Lady Farmer. And uh, we talk about, we even have a little in insert that we put in with our you know socks or napkins or whatever and um Mm -hmm. encouraging people that part of the beauty is you know plants are a living thing and they're changing and they're organic and so forth so Mm -hmm. it's not like the synthetics that are so predictable so to speak and uh, so exactly encourage people to embrace that about it and see that as part of its uniqueness and and beauty and you said something earlier about Mm -hmm. the when you were using synthetic colors you found them too vivid I think that's um, I love that you felt that way because it's usually the flip side people will say well they don't the natural dyes are not as vivid or they're more dull or they're not as vibrant or whatever but I think it's just in how you look at it when you, you know, you think these things are like these from the earth, these colors. Yeah. I mean, again, that's personal preference. And I, I come across that same thing. People say, well, it's just brown. <laughs> you know, it, that's not really true. But yeah. yes, it tends to go in those in that palette yeah. rather than being, especially with the printing and with the dyeing, you can achieve many more 
views that you can't, you know, necessarily get directly from the leaf. But it, it is interesting how some people just think it's a little too dull. <laughs> For example, like watercolors is the same way. If somebody paints with watercolors, you have to, even in museums, they're exposed in rooms that are dark because they can't. So I'm just saying it's not not just this particular way of using color pigments, you know, that's sensitive to change. Other things are too. Yeah. I think it's fun to see, like, if you have a, a garment or a pair of socks or something, it's fun to see how it changes color. Mm-hmm. If you're not if you're not all like caught up about it having to be exactly exactly like it was when you got it. Yeah. And I have I have a few I don't dye all my clothes uh, or print them with eco printing, but I have a few. I have a skirt that I've been that's been printed many times and when I think it's a little fading fading out a little too much, I just do it again and, yeah. and it's just, Isn't that great? So, yeah. And then you have a new skirt. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I want to hear about the plant dyes in your yard. I know, I know you said you had sumac, but for the echo printing and the oak trees and but what else do you print with? And what do you grow as, as a dye for the fabric? So, yeah, I have uh, I have a bed of matter. I'm only about a year old now, so I have to wait a little bit before I can harvest. And I have coreopsis and uh, chamomile. I have indigo, I have marigold, purple basil. That's probably about it for this year. Do you make your own indigo uh, stuff with the leaves or do you get an extract? So the, uh, this is the second year I've been growing indigo. And last year I only did the fresh extraction where you oh. put it in the blender with ice cubes. So you get it's more of a turquoisey color. Mm-hmm. But this year, I'm really, I'm going to save some of it and try to extract uh, pigments so I can use that for a vat later on. Just, I mean, it's very small scale, so it's more about the process and just trying to see if I could figure out how to do it rather than being able to use it on a on a bigger scale so i haven't attempted that i just order the powder and Mm -hmm. (laughs) make a vat from that and that has its own challenges (laughs) yeah you know it's it's not an easy thing but it's it's pretty amazing when it works it's (laughs) magical it's yeah i love it it so much and um so what else are you interested in? What do you like to do when you're not making art? Are there any books or movies or TV series that you're enjoying? So one big thing, I'm, I love to be in the garden, not only to take care of dye plants, but in general, I love gardening. And I've been, the last couple of years, I've been trying to do more naturalist gardening, you know, more eco-friendly pollinator gardening. And I'm really, really enjoying just in small scale seeing how that works. You know, you put in certain plants and some of the insects will come. And you know, so that's a big interest. I think it's just amazing to try to make something like that in an urban setting like we are here. Grow vegetables. Yeah. We do have all these big trees. uh, So I don't have really have enough sun but i try to grow some tomatoes lots of lettuce and things like that that's a little more more tolerant i have blackberries blueberries but uh, i I kind of wish i had more sun but that would mean i would need to take my trees down and that's not gonna happen (laughs) yeah i know that's always the thing that a lot of the natives and the the pollinators and stuff they can adapt to more that's right yeah yeah 
Yeah. So, so you like, you do needlework and you do gardening. Mm-hmm. What other, what books do you like? So I, I am more of a nonfiction reader, I think, than a fiction uh-huh. reader. There is one book that I, it's a little bit difficult to get hold of. It's called Wished. So it's spelled W-H-E-E-S-H-T. And it's a Scottish or Northern England word for hush or for being quiet. And it's written by uh, a woman named Kate Davis. She's a knitwear designer. So she's in a totally different field from me. But the whole book is all about how to kind of unleash or how to promote your own creativity. So it's set up in chapters and it talks about certain things you can do to kind of make yourself more creative. She's a fabulous writer in addition to being a creative person. But I think it just applies to so many people because I personally think that everybody is creative. You know, you, you come across people who say, well, I'm not creative. I can't do anything. And it turns out most people are, you know, either you're really good at cooking or you're good at solving math problems. Or <laughs> There's always something creative that you're good at. And this book is really a lovely way of, even for somebody like myself, who sometimes I think all of us sometimes struggle with creativity, the pressure of, producing something and doing something unique or something new all the time. And I think this book just really teaches you how to, to do it in a gentler way. I think that's her approach. You know, what if we don't bang on the drums all the time about our uh, achievements and instead just go gentle yeah. about it? And so I highly recommend it. I think it's only available on her own website, but she is really shipping from England, works really well, and it's not very expensive. So if anybody's interested in getting it, I recommend. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, that sounds like a great pick for our almanac. Oh, that would be great. That would be perfect (laughs) for that. It's really nice. What do you think of when you think of slow living? What does it mean to you? I think it's something I'm striving to do and but not always succeeding. I, I tend to be or at least my mind is always busy. It's not necessarily that I'm doing things all the time. I have sometimes have a hard time slowing down and just taking deep breaths and enjoying things in the moment and things that I know I sh- I should do. So it's definitely something that I'm thinking of often but not always able mm-hmm. to live up to. I think that's probably most of it. Yeah, yeah. It's an aspiration. I mean, I also think it's something like when some people talk about it, it's something that sounds so ideal and so perfect. But I do think we do have to realize that it's much harder than you think to achieve, or at least do it in a way that you have a peace of mind about it and not feel like, mm-hmm. I tend to feel like if I go too slow or if I take my time and sit and read for half a day, I feel like, I always feel like I'm, supposed to do something else so that that part is really hard to train yourself out of yeah we're addicted to product i think so too and it's not always good (laughs) they're not always successful either because i think we we just want to do too many things and it sometimes just falls apart. And I agree what you said about, you know, a person might say, oh, I'm not creative, but everybody's creative. It it is a part of being human. Mm -hmm. You can't escape, really, you can't escape your own creativity. You know, you might not be as in touch with it or recognize it in yourself, but it's a part of being human. Yeah. So what does the good dirt mean to you? And you can answer that literally, metaphorically, any way you want or both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think... The good dirt for me is actually appreciate how wonderful dirt and soil is in general, even when it's not that good. You know, I think 
dirt is what's, what feeds all of us. And I'm thinking again, specifically about the, the large trees that is growing just 20 yards behind my house. There's, I, I don't take care of the dirt. I don't do anything. It, it just grows and it's been growing for hundreds of years. And it just proves that the dirt is there to sustain everything that's living. And it's the thing that connects all of us, you know, plants and people and it doesn't necessarily have to be something that's cultivated. It, it, I think it's there. The same thing in the woods, you know, it's there and it's just doing its thing and it's doing it to the benefit of all of us. Yeah. And to, to what we were saying about productivity earlier, you don't have to do anything about exactly. it. It's just is being what a lesson that mm-hmm. is <laughs> supporting all life. <laughs> yeah. It might appear like there's nothing going on, but there's a lot going on in that. Dirt. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Things that we right. probably don't know all of that. We don't know everything about it yet either. You know, we think we think we know. but Yeah. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you would like the listeners or audience to understand about the work that you do or anything about you as an artist or as a person? I think my the purpose that I feel I have with my work is to make people, I mean, almost all my motifs are plants or plant forms. And I think the idea for me is for people to look at it and realize that we have all this beauty around us, no matter where we live. You know, even if you live in the middle of a city, you can go out and you can find something growing in the cracks of a sidewalk or, you know, if you can go to a park and you can look at a tree there and see when it blooms or when the leaves fall to the ground. So by picturing like little snippets or details of plants and lots of times the plants that I'm depicting are not spectacular. They're some often they're fading or they're, in decline or it's a weed or something else but just by depicting it as for what it is i hope that the people seeing it will realize that there is a lot of beauty around us and learning to observe things in a different way and i think once you do that once you realize that this nature is in our backyard no matter where we are it will be much easier to appreciate it and to kind of learn or to want to protect the environment. That's kind of what's driving most of what I do is that I I just feel like we all have to have that awareness in order to realize what we're about to destroy, you know, because that's what it feels like sometimes. Yeah. To foster our own connection to it. Yeah. And even the simplest of ways. You were talking about your childhood there in Sweden, walking around in nature. And I, I wondered if there's a, a like a story or anything to recall, any like just particular little vignette of childhood memory that sort of gives us a glimpse of that life you had. So where I, I, I we moved around quite a bit, but where I grew up was outside of Lund, which is in the southern part of Sweden. And it's a very agricultural area. So we actually lived on a farm as tenants, not we were renting and and my father was working with something totally different, but that's where we lived. And that's where I have the most vivid memory of just hiking and walking around both this particular farm, but also all the neighboring farms. And to just, uh, there was like 
most of it was farmland, so not woods necessarily, but there were several yeah. places where it, it was just this sense of freedom. And also it felt perfectly safe. I, I realized that part of that is generational, you know, so I, mean, I don't even yeah. know in Sweden now if kids can roam around free, probably a little bit more than they can here, but it really has stuck with me. Did you play like games? We would play this hide and seek game that would take you like blocks and blocks away. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you would, you would really travel a lot of ground. And I remember building a lot of little hideout places and having secrets um, oh. in the there was a small little parcel of woods nearby and we would go there and just make our own, me and my sisters, you know, just a place to hang out. So, so you hear a lot about, um, especially in, in Norway, I don't know so much about Sweden, but, you know, the garden fairies and the gnomes and so forth. Were you all, did you pretend all that or was that part of your... Uh, no, not, not really. My, my father was a gardener. He, uh, that was his when he... Came, he were, had a totally different job, but when he came home from work, I still remember that he he would not even take his suit off. He just wanted to go out there in the garden, and this was a vegetable garden. And he just that was that was totally his chill time. He just wanted to go out there with his hoe and to look at what's happened during the day. And he was out there in his suit and tie. And I just I love that picture of him. He's, he's no longer alive, but um, it's just one of those. That is one of my strongest childhood memories. And so, but but unfortunately, when I was growing up, I had no real interest in gardening. I think that's pretty common. <laughs> but yes. but it, it, as soon as I had the opportunity to have my own piece of land, I it definitely kicked in. So yeah, same with me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's I think it's very common, especially if you have parents that are really into it, you know, and really wanted you to help yeah. or do things like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, is there anything else you want to tell the world? <laughs> no, the maybe world I, maybe I should just talk about a little bit about the most recent one of the most recent things that I'm doing uh, is a yes. I've been working with a vintage quilt. I don't think I, I don't have much about it. Um, I have a picture of one of them on my website. But several years ago, I purchased a quilt through through Etsy, and I purchased. I wanted it to be a bed quilt to use, but when I got it, it was just in tatters. It was just in such poor condition that I even I couldn't fix it up enough to make it usable. But I, I fell in love with it because I, I it's such a mystery. You know, I didn't know who made it. I didn't really know how old it was. There was a little tag on the back of it that, that had some names on it, but it was it was pinned to it. It wasn't even attached. So anyways, I saved it all these years and it's been sitting around and I haven't done anything until now during the pandemic. I just discovered it again and realized I'm going to do something with this. So I started to picking it apart, picking the blocks of the quilt apart and repairing it as I go. So I would pick the ones that were the least damaged. So I was repairing it as I went along. And then I, after uh, done all this stitching on it, I decided to over-dye it. So the first one I worked on, I over-dyed with indigo. So I then now still had the original sewing from the original makers, but with my stitching on top and then the dyeing from my dye pot. And then when I had each of those blocks done, I put it together again as a nine patch. So just much smaller quilt. So nine, three over three. 
And then I kept going. So I did that with the indigo first, and then I did one with matter. And then the, this last one I did was uh, with, I think it was Osage orange, so a golden color. And it's just been such a fulfilling thing to, first of all, use something again that was yes. kind of lost forever, probably, if, if I hadn't done this, you know, because it was really not usable in any other respect and then I also as I was working on it kept thinking about these women who had made it because it was obvious that there was more than one person because some of it was done by hand so the, the piecing was done by hand some of it was crudely done on a machine which could have been an electric machine or it could have been you know hand cranked or whatever but it was machine piece and the one person was obviously a little more sloppy than the other person. I was like just making stories in my head, thinking, what, what were they thinking? Oh, yeah. What were they doing? And was the particular woman, was he more annoyed with the other person? <laughs> so anyway, so it just it just brought me a lot of satisfaction to, to do this. And, and the, the pieces turned out beautiful. And they're actually on their way to England now. So you're not alone in your efforts to create sustainable, no, art, sustainable no. natural materials. It's, is, is it a, a growing movement or a large movement or, you know? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I know of, of the, the people in this group and they're, many of them are fairly well renowned in the textile world at least so but I think I think it's growing I think people are becoming more and more aware but I don't have that much insight so I don't know is there an organization does it come under any kind of umbrella or so, yeah so so this is more of an informal group very you know we don't even have it's not a real structure it was it just started with an exhibit two years ago at the festival of quilts in London so that's the first time when we did this together and it was just one of the one of the artists who, who took the initiative to invite other people who are doing this similar things, but then we've kept it going. So we keep in touch. We don't, you know, we don't have fees. It's no, nothing is official. It's, it's very loosely held together, but it is, it's a really nice, nice thing to be part of. I think that was all from online presence and, uh, you know, how did you find each other? You, you, you kind of seek, seek out like-minded people on Instagram and, mm -hmm. Just Facebook to a certain degree, but well, that is certainly in line with our ethos of creativity and sustainability and connecting with nature and all these things. There's just so many. Um, yeah, there's so many tie-ins. It's really wonderful. That's great, Joel. You you guys are doing a, such a great job too. I oh, thank you. I love your podcasts. I listen to them all the time because I, and I've learned oh. so much. I've, I you know I just I listened to the one the other day about oh. the linen. And wrapping your, your bread in linen and it's like oh my gosh why haven't I thought of that before <laughs> linen keeps coming up I know it's a theme thanks so much for coming on the show yeah. a lot of this was so lovely so wonderful to talk to you yeah we really appreciate your time and we look forward to being connected in the future thank you for having me Thanks so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and we hope you'll share all of your feedback with us at ladyfarmer.com forward slash survey. Remember that the survey is still open and we'll be drawing one winner from all survey completers for a free year in the Almanac.
And a reminder that everyone gets three months free. Yes, and thank you to Lotta for coming on the show today. A reminder also that this is the last week of enrollment in the Almanac before we officially begin our fall programming. And we'd love to have you with us. Thank you as always, dear Good Dirt listeners, for being here. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.